0: Hello, and welcome to season three of the E3 podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to the podcast today. We have Shannon on. Shannon, tell us a little bit about who you are. So how'd you get into what you're doing?
1: Um, Let's see. So I started out as like, you know, your average Um, maker, kiddo, I love to draw and paint. And then I kind of transitioned into liking to make things. I've always kind of been attracted to making them function, even though I do like to draw and paint. Um, I started building, designing and building furniture and fixtures in college. And I've a sculpture degree from Syracuse. I worked in the metal studio and shop um, pretty prolifically as a, I got a pretty good reputation early on for somebody who liked to churn through the night. Um, most of my immediate colleagues were grad students, and so we, you know, we produced a lot of work. And I got out of school, started. Um, I went to Australia for a little bit, worked on a sheep farm, I was a welder. I uh, worked in a foundry, so got a, did a lot of casting. And um, my goal was to create um, whole homes and all the pieces within the homes. So I thought that would be. But it never occurred to me to become an architect like you, because I thought most of my friends were architects and industrial designers at Syracuse, and, and um, it just it seemed a little too confined to me. That's a really
0: interesting uh, perspective on it. Um, I wanted to go to art school a uh, um, Early on in my high school career, my dad's like, that's not a career, like career, you know, my high school drafting teacher was like, oh, architecture school is hard. And I was like, this might be the fit between art and, you know, the science that I like, because my backup plan was to go to school for chemistry, which was totally unrelated to (laughs) the rest of it. Um, But so it's really interesting to hear you say that it was, it was a little too confined. Um, And so for me, he, he encouraged me to do something that was a little bit more defined so that. It felt like a career.
1: I got a lot of negative feedback from my immediate family about going to art school. And, um, you know, I I knew it was kind of a gutsy move. And when I got to school, like I was told when I applied and I did the portfolio review that my um, portfolio was the best one that he had reviewed um, over the years. And so I was like, that made me feel pretty confident that I was in a department that I would be, you know, at least in the top ranking. Um and then you know the, the people that I gravitated towards and really defined my friendships and my colleague relationships, even at that age, were all very hard workers and very um at, good at kind of riding the wave between function and, and art. And we collaborated a lot. And but I think that I was out of the group, I was the more gutsy to go the fine art route. And I can understand, I'm a mom now. I have three kids and I'm I'm, I understand,
0: you know? Yeah. It was kind of interesting. The path that you took to get to where you are. Although I think, um, you know, architecture school isn't really meant to teach you how to build anything. It's meant to teach you how to think outside the box, which is cool. So I love that you actually came to it from like an art place, which is really outside the box, right? It's really pushing the envelope to, you know, how you create something, what you do. But I wonder if sculpture is so related to, you know, form and what comes out of it is that I think that the way your brain translates into architecture probably works really well for the, art, you know, medium that
1: you chose. Um, yeah, there's a lot. What I love about it is the, the combination of all the different mediums that we get to bring to bring together. And it's really like, um, an exercise in, um, HR human resources, you know, pulling off a house is like, okay. So I've had three conversations today, basically talking my carpenters off the ledge because, you know, the plumber showed up and was a prima Donna cause he didn't have something you know, already done for them. And then, you know, everybody's like, my phone's blowing up. And um, so I think from the out of the gate, like, yeah, it's, it's really cool to approach a project um, from the artistry of it. And then it's funny how like over the years you really develop the skills of pulling off a project are so much softer than that. And, and it's like very little to do with the creative artistry. So if at the end of the day you have a door that works nobody's killed each other and you got to have a little bit of art. And <laughs> I'm like, woohoo, we're a win. That's a win. We rock. <laughs>
0: that's too funny. Um, Wednesdays. So I live in Thomaston, but I go to my office on Wednesdays, um, especially now during the pandemic. One one day a week is kind of, uh, so I go down there and we're finishing the fifth house that's in this Cumberland subdivision and um, the electrician was there and the builder or the, the GC is a woman, and so, you know, he opens the door where we're sitting, having our lunch meeting on the porch, uh, and he opens the door and he's like, I hate to break this up, but, and she's like, only good things. <laughs> if this is a problem, you can't tell me right now. <laughs> um, and so, but, but, uh, it was funny, but yeah, they had sent, you know, you like, you always get these random things where you get sent a piece and either it doesn't have all the pieces or it doesn't make sense. so they had sent a towel warmer that was just always on didn't have any way to turn it off or turn it down or do anything and like this can't be right it can't be an always-on solution right so they were trying to figure out where to put a switch so that they could shut it off um but it was it was different than the ones that he had seen before. Right. So he showed up and it's, it's the last day, right. He's hanging light fixtures and putting up towel bars, right. It's like the last day and nothing is going correctly. Like can't figure out why this one wire is not working. we have to take the cabinetry down because something must've gotten cut. I mean, you feel bad because that last 5% is the hardest thing to do. um, and, And it cracks you up because he was just like, I don't want to tell you this, but I have to tell you this, and this this isn't going well.
1: <laughs> I get totally charged off the, the last, like the last push of any sh- job. I always kind of think it, it makes me feel like I'm back in um, art school, kind of putting on, putting on a show, you know, and it was like, we, we have a deadline, everybody's here, we're gonna have a party after, you know, everybody's like, you know, you've been working next to these people along the way here and there. But usually towards the end, it's like all hands on deck. Let's get it done. You know, you're fist pumping. You're like it's charged. You feel kind of psyched to put the last touches on. And then, punch list is a little bit irritating because you know you're kind of back there and like, yeah. right. All
0: right.
1: <laughs> like I gotta come
0: back and paint all these spots that.
1: Yeah. But um, no, I think I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day. You know, I think um what I love about what I do is I figured out how to to kind of be an artist get paid for it and create a business that helps to employ other people who um it's really hard to to have a craft and be able to sell it you know bill for it get the next job lined up and I really enjoy what I do and I've got enough of those softer skills to be able to put it together I'm very inspired by art. I love to talk about it. Um, I love to create things that are a little bit unique. I know someone, someone had kind of asked like, oh, well,
0: you know, is this your style or this year, whatever. And I'm like, that's the best part about being an architect is every project is different. There's different art. There's different ways that you pull it together. Even, um, you know, our high performance, semi-customizable plan sets is, you know, It's different with every homeowner even if it's the same house you know the same basic structure on how they pull that together on the interiors and the exteriors and you know how it fits on the site Um, my office partner is a landscape architect and i'm like what did i do before you like it's so important how this fits on the site and the last house in our cumberland subdivision um is really tight it has some crazy setbacks um, due to it being a subdivision. So it has like the subdivision set back in the backyard. And then it's got this like stream swale that goes through it. It's just like the house fit right here and only like this and only, you know, due to some, some creativity with, you know, how are we going to get the driveway in here and the yard and where can they go? And, um, so it's been kind of a really fun collaborative process that every, every project is totally different. I'm like, do I have a style? Probably I have my own kind of bohemian style at my house, mm-hmm. but um, you know, my house is the project house. It's where we try everything before we try things for other people. So people are like, Oh, oh I, I want say, see.
1: yeah. Like I'm like the cobbler with the holes in the shoes. Go right? back to my house. You're gonna, I'm like, all right, I'll get on it. All right. We're doing it. I'm ripping this out now. You know?
0: Well, exactly. I mean, we've lived here for two years and I was like, okay, you know, my blower door is 8.5 ACH and there's a hole in the ceiling, like this hole in the ceiling. Like I, I, I'm an energy professional. I do this all day long and there's a hole in my own ceiling. Right. And people are like, oh, I want to see the architect's house. I'm like, no, you don't. You want to see what I design, what we've put together, what we've curated. You don't want to see my house. My house is the experiment project. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We tried that. It didn't go well. (laughs) So so
1: you do primarily projects in Portland then? Mm, no, not really. I mean, I live in Portland I've worked, my office is here in Portland, but, um, no, like, you know, along the waterfront primarily up and down the coast a bit.
0: Yeah. I guess it's Maine. So, you know, you probably work in the bottom third of the state, like the rest of us and go around. <laughs> I do some work in the lake districts too and go inland, um, there's a lot of water here, right? So everybody's doing something on the water and they're like, oh, I want to do this. I'm like, ah, you can't do that. <laughs> no, it's talk, talk about strict regulations, um, stricter than than working in Portland is what you can and can't do on a body of water depending on which town you're in. <laughs>
1: I was gonna say, I know Wyndham, I think had just changed some rules and you can go right up to the water line, I think if uh, memory serves. Wyndham was really strict for a while Mm -hmm. and
0: it's, it backed up or maybe it was Naples. It was like the old code officer. You still let everybody do whatever they wanted. And then the new code officer came in and was like, whoa, 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 what happened here? Um, Mm -hmm. Or then, you know, if you build on Sebago, that's the water source for Portland. And so there's a lot more uh, restrictions of what you can and can't do on the lake there because the lake itself is actually a water source. So it's always a fun new challenge. Those are the ones I like, though. I like that shoreland zoning DEP environmental challenge. For some reason, the who knows what the -the behind-the-scenes checklist in Portland is? (laughs) is frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. It's like we have this checklist of things you should submit. And then you submit all the things that are on the checklist. And then they're like, we also need this. I'm like, but that wasn't on the checklist.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's tricky. Um, Yep. Best place to start on every project is right out of the gate. Like, all right, we're going to make a few calls, do a little research, make sure that we're aware of whatever parameters there are and make sure that whatever changed last week, we can hopefully have in front of us.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, you had said earlier that, you know, it's about your network and, and working together, the people that, you know, and, and I think that if we always start our projects by, you know, taking something to the town office and saying, this is what we want to do. Is there anything that strikes you as maybe this isn't a good idea now so that we can work through it before you get, you know, a client who's fully committed to this idea that you've created. And then you show up in front of the, the town office and they're like, well, no, you can't do this for X, Y, or Z. Yeah,
1: I always start with day one first. Like we just came from a new job site and um, I was like, okay, next step is, you know, Sandy from my office is gonna make some phone calls, literally just phone calls. You can learn so much just by saying, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm gonna be doing this. This is where I'm at. What do you see? Oh, you know, you really should talk to so and So they're gonna help you out and you gotta look this one thing up and that's really gonna set you on the right path. Just like all right
0: great yeah so during the pandemic have you
1: been busier than ever well initially you know i think we all had a little bit of like a a pause deep breath you know it was almost like a clap of thunder and then while you, we were waiting for it to dissipate and waiting to see if another one was going to happen things got a little bit like you know you can't work in somebody's house for a minute you know i was doing some projects where we had to just pull people out um And then all of a sudden, too, like if people were in the middle of drawing something where, you know, maybe they had a change in financial situations, I can't remember, but it does. I definitely remember being like taking a deep breath and holding it for a little bit for a few months there. And then, yeah, and then following, once we all started to kind of understand um, the magnitude or the way that we were going to work around this, and, you know, the PPP helped out, the government, you know, helping us kind of be like, don't worry, you know, we'll help you. That kept us working, and yes, it's been breakneck a bit lately. As the spring is also um, magnifying that for us. So
0: yeah, t- the the it's changing, starting to get warm again. Now we're all talking about mud season, and when are the roads going to be unposted? And how soon can we get this in the ground? And are we ready for this? And um, For me, I didn't have that pause. I would have liked uh, to have that pause. I only had one client, and their project was actually done through the architecture. Part and they were doing some funding things. Right. And so the banks all kind of said, well, wait a second. I was the mm-hmm. only project that I had that didn't like continue forward. And then I had a couple of people come out of the woodworks that were like, oh, you know, we have time to think about this project now we want to get rolling again. And um, so for me, it was a little crazy um, and, and still has been, uh, and it's been good. Right. Cause we continue to take on work because we've all lived through previous recessions where you're like, well, I don't really know what's going to happen here. So we're going to You know, we're gonna take it one day at a time. And I'm sure for you, so um, you own your own business. Uh, are you a design build type of firm? I know you said you wear a bunch of different hats, you're developer, landlord, you know, designer, all of that. Um, is it design build? Do you have some of
1: your own build teams that are are working on projects then? Or yeah, and that's what I mean was mostly pausing. Like the design was fine. We were working straight through, but we had, you know, I have staff in the field. We have um it's a small construction company, you know, with, with field staff. And um, I have a real estate component to our business. So we can help clients um, buy. And It's, it's kind of nice if you're looking at buying and you need somebody who has some um, design and construction aptitude experience. So you can say, well, can I, you know, can I buy this and think about this? And, and it's interesting, like a real estate agent does not want to sell you a piece of land because if you have a $2 million budget and you need to buy a piece of land for probably a $2 million budget, you know, you're looking under 500,000, probably should be around 250. You know, I mean, we need to be conservative these days with construction costs. A real estate agent is looking at either they hear you have a $2 million budget and you think they want to sell you a piece of land for 250. So it's like, you know, you go and you talk to them and they're going to say, look, let me show you some houses that we're going to really, and you'll be in and you'll be done. And, you know, if you want to do a project, you've got to be committed. It's going to take you years from the time that you acquire the land to the time that you acquire the team and um, to the time that you then, you know, get your occupancy permit. And then you're thinking about furniture. I mean, maybe you've thought about it ahead of time, but it just takes a long time. So I think what our company does is it blends those various expertise together um, and even services, I have a handyman team after the fact, so you can acquire, design, build, and maintain your property.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important, um, you know, cause you're right about the, the real estate agents. And then right now uh, with the market, the way that it is, I mean, people are buying things sight unseen, I, you know, I've never been here. They, somebody's selling something, they've got 20 offers on it before the first day. And so, having someone like yourself who can go in and, a first look at it for a client and evaluate it and say, "Yeah, you absolutely should make an offer on this based on you know how this is going," but you're going to have to fix X, Y, and Z, or going in and saying, "You definitely don't want this one. Like it's riddled with mold, and you know it's going to be a tear down. There's no way to save it, or there's moisture, or whatever." and um, you know that's not a common component for most real estate agents either, right? So they don't want to sell you a piece of land, but they also don't want to get between you and a sale. And so, they're you know, if if you're really interested in it and everything's going flying off the market, then you know people are getting themselves into into some trouble in some cases where they don't know what they're buying. So, yeah. um, I've always yeah. thought it was great to have um, some kind of construction background when showing houses. Um, <laughs> my real estate agent was a family friend when we sold our first house and then bought our house here. And, um, she always th- laughs because the other real estate agent, right. Who's the the seller's agent is always like, she's going to climb in the attic. What do you mean? She's going in the attic. Cause I, you know, I was an energy consultant for years and years and I'm an architect. Right. So I'm climbing through all kinds of stuff and they're just <laughs> like, what, what's going on here?
1: And she's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> so exactly. I know. I think you're right. I think um, having the ability. Well, you know, there are really good and experienced real estate agents out there too who have done a lot of construction, have a lot of connections. You know, I I work with a lot of great people when we're putting deals together. So not everybody, but um, but yeah, I think it's hard because you know we've got a lot of people out there who don't know how to do projects anymore. They don't really have an understanding, and you know it's it's tricky and it's funny. You can tell people like you're, you're probably gonna, um, start to be really fatigued with the process around here. And this is where we start, you know, you get so used to like these things that happen. There's all really soft, but they're so consistent. You know, I, if you get a client who tells you, like, I just got this little thing and I could do it myself and it shouldn't cost anything. And I'm like, I don't think we're going to be a good fit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I can help you oh. or, you know,
0: and I, I love that HGTV has gotten people interested in the concept of design, but it does not give people any idea of how you actually build stuff and how expensive it really is. And so it's like, oh, well, I saw this thing and it should only cost $10,000. And I'm looking at it going, it's like
1: $50,000. I yeah, I know. I know. I know. I was just with a client yesterday having um, lunch. And it's such a rarity, but she called me because we just finished the guest house we designed and built. And um, she just got the furnishings in and she wanted me to take a walk around, and check it out. She's very proud of it. And she took me out to lunch and she was like, this is again, this doesn't happen all the time. This is not like your normal, you know, but she's like, I wish it were. You guys are amazing. Everybody you have is amazing. She's like, what the hell is wrong with um, main cabin masters and HD, she's like, they're, they're selling you something that's totally unrealistic. She's like, we just, you know, I know what we just spent and I'm watching it go. And I watched all this happen. And she's like, and I just see these shows that are completely selling something. And just, she's like, I don't know what they're doing. Like they're, they're wrong and they're crazy. And I was like, Oh my God.
0: Well, And I don't know what the point is. Right. So the the design and the interest and all of that as part of it is still there, even if
1: you tell people what it actually costs. I know. Right? Yeah. That's my biggest complaint these days is that they're, you know, it's not, media isn't helping us out at all. And we've got these, these um, expectations that are super hard to meet anyway. And, you know, you've got Pinterest and House and everything is so accessible now. Everybody's got you know, house porn everywhere. And we're just like, it's great that we can really quickly reference precedents and say, oh, this is what you're thinking. Oh, okay, cool. I can, I can get there. Right. But you know, there's no, like when I'm telling people I have to bring every single person up to speed on what actual costs for labor materials are, it's really tiring. Well, and it's been
0: so frustrating this past year too, because we used to at least it used to be pretty good at getting it in a ballpark, right? This is what you want, okay? I think that your budget needs to be in this range. Well, this year it's kind of like, well, it could be from here to there. Like, I don't, I have no idea because we're going to design it now, and six months later when we build
1: it, you know, yeah. I don't. The pricing changes every week now. You know, I know. I just had a conversation with some women the other day. A couple from Yarmouth or Cumberland, and they were, you know, they sent me some plans. I don't know who did them, but um, it was like a master, or now what do we say, owner suite, um, and you know, the bathroom. The so the sleeping chamber and and bathroom associated with the ownership, the kitchen and a powder room renovation. And I said I looked over it based on the square footages and the cabinetry that we were discussing. And they sent me pictures of what they had existing. So it was like a quality but dated. Cherry kitchen. And I said, Yeah, you're probably looking for somewhere in the range of like 150 to three, depending on what you guys decide for tile. And and, you know, I haven't been to your house, but I'm presuming there's probably not a lot of problems because it looks like it was really well built back, mm-hmm. you know, 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago. But um, they're like, that's a huge range. I was like, I know you know, like, and I
0: wish that I could narrow that down for you. And I just can't, you know, that's the, that's the part that's hard and frustrating. And, and another thing that's great about the way that you do business is you do have people in the field. And so you have your finger on, you know, the costs as they change for me. Um, I partner with a lot of great contractors, which is good. And I don't do bid work because that never gets anybody a good project. And, um, but I don't buy materials every day or every week or, you know, paying
1: for, for all of those things. And so it's a lot harder. I I can do gut checks. Really. I'm a good, I have a lot of people that call me on gut checks. Like, what do you think for this? And I'm like, well, that'll be two guys for about a week. That's going to be this. Plus we got to do this, that, and this. And I think like those ladies, I was just talking to you, I did a spreadsheet after we got off the phone. And I think I did a gut check, what I call a gut check. I went through and just, Based off my thoughts, and it came in over 300, I think, at the end of the day when I started adding, looking at the details that they had sent over. And, you know, I was like, I haven't heard back from them.
0: Yeah, I know. That's the hard part. I, and I started doing that with all of my introductions. Like when people first start and reach out to me, I say, This is what we're seeing right now for the cost of construction. Because unfortunately, I get emotionally involved with people you want to help them you want Mm -hmm. them to have this great project and then you know you get down to it and you're like oh you know I've got fifty thousand dollars and I'm like oh well you need three hundred thousand dollars to do what you want and then you feel horrible in that position so I just kind of start there like if you don't have this for your project yeah like sure there are ways that we can cut costs on certain things and do some stuff in different ways. But I mean, the base level just cost of construction right now is high. And, you know, just to get the plumber to show up, it's going to be X dollars, right?
1: Doesn't even matter what you pick just to get him there to run yeah. plumbing. Well, is- I want those extortionists right now. They're basically <laughs> like, send me a check, make it blank. I'm yeah. show up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. all right whatever you
0: need okay okay I need you to. I just need you to do it <laughs> yeah so so it's been kind of a fun uh an interesting time uh to practice design and architecture uh, in over the, the pandemic and you know we're all hoping the construction costs will go back down and I think we'll see
1: some dip a little bit But it's not going to go back to where it was. I've never in my years of work, and this is in 44, I started it, whatever, buying materials from mostly metal back in the when I was 18. And I have watched the price of commodities, and they've only ever, I've never seen them come down. So I'm surprised to hear you say that. I was talking to um, Hebert Construction. one of the guys there a couple of months ago asking him about commercial, like what he saw happening. Cause they follow, um, they follow obviously because they're doing huge projects and they have to really track right. Small right. chain can really mess up it is
0: it's a huge so, number.
1: Yeah. So those guys, they have a different system. Like they have these, um, I believe it's like almost like daily charts based off of like trading and everything that they can look at. And he told me he expected to see a, um, a plethora of materials once the borders from Canada opened. So it was like back when we were kind of shut down and things were really on a pause. But I mean, we're not, I'm not seeing any drops in, in the lumberyards when I'm buying, paying my bills. I just, I'm, I'm only seeing things hold or go up. So yeah.
0: Well, and the reality is, um, you know, people are switching to using metal studs because a metal stud is now half the cost of a a you know traditional two by four and so now the cost of metal studs is going to go up because they can increase their prices because the other price you know it's just uh
1: <laughs> it's yeah.
0: it's crazy so i mean we'd like to think it would but you're right i mean it doesn't really ever come but i mean it's never going to go back to what it was pre-2020 pricing and it, when we started 2020 i was like wow well, things are already more expensive like this is every yeah. year just
1: before 2020 i had seen we were working on a huge project and we went for pricing and um a development project and it came it it reset like 20 higher than we expected and it really messed up the project and we went and value engineered we sent it back out and it came back even another 10 higher after removing some of the details and the materials so it that project reset in about a year while we were designing it 30 mm-hmm. percent. that was pre-2020 this is like yeah. 2018
0: and that's still
1: on pause. Yeah. Um, from 2018
0: to 2019, we definitely saw that. And even going into early 2020, like pre-pandemic where like, you know, things are just, they're getting more expensive. And then it just went like, yeah, the trajectory. I mean, I think it went up another 10% in the last week. It's been
1: <laughs> you know, like, like, <laughs>
0: uh, too bad for anybody who wants
1: plywood for something. <laughs> right? We're going to start cutting it ourselves. We'll start making plywood ourselves pretty soon here.
0: Well, and it used to be that it was, you know, plywood was great because it came in these big sheets and cut down on labor or whatever, but soon it's going to be just cheaper to buy board sheathing and people are going to be putting board sheathing up again as a rule of thumb, instead of, you know, as the alternate, because they'll be able to get it locally and available, uh, build and it was roughly the same price as at before. And it's might be less
1: now. <laughs> so I, I totally agree. I think you're right. I think it comes down to, um, yeah, we're going to be changing building practices,
0: which in my world is great because changing building practices and doing things, uh, you know, locally, locally it would be yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love one of my friends, um, in Vermont, Like I always love when he's talking about it because I feel like Vermont is always kind of pushing the envelope on natural and local materials. Like they've got a real thing going over there about using things that are local, um, Mm -hmm. which is, which is pretty awesome. I'm like, Oh, I can't wait till that trickles down
1: here. But you know, when it gets to the point here, I see people, I mean, I always talk about that $1 you spend locally pays off three times as much you, if you spend $1 in a box store here in town, it, it sends $7 out of town. And I don't exactly know how that works, but I used to be a part of buy local. And I remember reading that and they were like, just spend what you can. And if you can create, it's better for your carbon footprint. If you can take materials that are growing here and use them in your buildings mm-hmm. as possible. Right. Um, and, you know, yeah. I mean, like I like paying my neighbor. This is my electrician. He lives down the street. Yep.
0: Yeah. The electrician on the project, uh, in, in Cumberland, he's like, I think he's in his sixties or seventies. And he's like, I'm never going to retire. I'm just going to keep doing those. We're like, that's great. (laughs) You know, like you just keep showing up. This is awesome. Um, but yeah, we use a lot of local people, people that, you know, you know, try to, try to do what you can for exactly those reasons. It's like, where can I get this? Where can I buy it locally? Where can, where can I spend the dollars in town on the people who are here? And then on the things that are really critical and important that we have to get from somewhere else, you feel less bad about, right? Because you're importing fewer things.
1: So mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But anyway, it's, already 10 after four. So I hate to keep you, I know you're busy. Um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking about, you know, what you're doing. Um, it has been my mission with the podcast to support other women in the industry so that other people like us can say, you know, I loved when you said earlier that, you know, you were, you were just the one who was, who was you know, ballsy enough to try art school or do whatever. And look, it's led into you you having enough to start your own business, right? You were like, there's there's no reason why I can't do this. And um, I think that as the construction industry doesn't have enough people getting into it because they look at it as, I don't know if it's, they look at it as something hard or if they just look at it as, we stopped looking at it as craftsmanship. I mean, the art of building is just so cool. And I want people to, to think about that more and hear about that more. And so whenever someone's like, oh, you know, you have to have so-and-so on the podcast. So, um, I appreciate you taking your time and sharing your experience and what you're doing. And, um, you know, it's all about the networking and connections and the people that you meet. And I'm more than happy to send any project, uh, in Portland to you and just say, you just need to go talk to her
1: definitely well yeah let's keep in touch it was really great to meet you and I agree you know we that's a whole we didn't really get into the whole like being a woman in the industry but um it I is mean a, if you have
0: 10 more minutes and you want to talk about that as your experience feel free to
1: uh, <laughs> yeah I'm looking at my things here yeah I mean the way that I look at it is um I was I felt blessed I grew up in like a little down east town where I just felt like you know women or man you had to work to to make it and I didn't really, and I, I was around a lot of strong women because, um, my mom was a nurse. My grandmother was a Naval nurse, my grand everybody shipped out and you had like just strong women at home, keeping the homestead, so to speak while the, you know, men were off at sea or war. And, um, you know, it just felt like a pretty leveled playing field. At the end of the day, everybody kind of had to show up ready to do it. And I went, I just never felt like I couldn't do whatever i wanted it didn't matter which you know industry or what was inspiring to me um, i did you know like i said earlier when we were speaking i think it's hard for parents to think about supporting you going into something that doesn't have a really con- like defined way of making it and um but that said if you know if you're willing to work hard and you enjoy what you're doing and you're passionate about it i don't think you nowadays have any good reason to not do what you want to do there are uh, industries that are traditionally more men more men historically and you know we women have to take time off to have children and that can back us out of the um, workplace you know at critical moments in our Mm -hmm. in our um, careers and I I understand all that I did it three times I was taking calls in my in my birthing bed and I didn't take time off for maternity on the front or the back of it, and I have no regrets. And my kids always tease me, like, "Are you going to put your phone down? Are you going to come?" Like, I'm I am a certain type of person, and they accept me, and I accept them. And um, I'm not saying my way is the best way, but this is how I've chosen to do it. And I am, and have been, typically one of the few women at the table in in meetings when I'm you know there, and it can be challenging at times. Um, but I think it's probably just as challenging to be. You know, right now we see a real leveling out there with Black Lives Matter. We're seeing like a, a real change in the times with the advent of having technology at the at our hands. Like when you can give immediate feedback about negative feedback about something that's happening, people are like, "Ooh, yikes!" You know, um, I could get in trouble. So we see like it's really kind of interesting. Um, you know, you might you might be in more shape to be. a a boss who's a white man right now you better be careful you know so I feel like um, all things go through cycles and you know I'm happy to be a mentor there weren't as many mentors for me who were doing exactly what I did but I found mentors wherever I needed them yeah, and I,
0: I think that's the same for me as you know, I grew up in a farm family. Didn't matter whether you were, you know, what you were, you worked, right? So we came from these backgrounds of places where you you just worked. And I think for me, um, I found out now, probably more recently that I actually went to a really amazing high school, like in a farm community, which is crazy, but it had a great academics program and had great um you know, arts program and had a great uh, technology program and it had an ag department. And so, you know, for me, I think it was just knowing that anything was possible. And so that's what I usually try to do on the podcast is like, just highlight the fact that like, go out and, and do it and anything is possible. And find those mentors and people and us as as people in the field going to places and just saying like, Hey, this is a possibility for you. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and just hearing that. And so that's part of why I started the podcast is just like, Hey, you know, these people are out there, find them.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I love that. I think that's really great. I think we don't have to, you don't have to do everything. Like I love working with architects because I'm not an architect never wanted to be, or I would have gone to school for it. I enjoy being who I am on a project. And I think, You, what you're doing here, like highlighting this is really, it's great when I'm thinking about it now, like kind of live action, you know, you're basically saying like, there's room, you don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to be like, let's just have a conversation. What are you doing? Why is that cool? That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like onward, let's get back to work kind of thing. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, it's
0: the network that you build, right? I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. If I knew everything, I would be really rich, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Bezos. But like Bezos, I'd, I'd be Jeff Bezos. If I knew everything, I would be Jeff Bezos or, or, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, right. I would have figured something out and been really smart and whatever. I don't know everything. So I love coming to the table and learning stuff from, from everybody else, right. Everybody brings something to the table and that's, Maybe it's just my personality, but that's the most exciting thing, you know, it's like, oh, this is so cool. It's cool to collaborate. It's cool to learn things from other people. It's, mm-hmm. and it's totally fine to ask questions and not know everything. <laughs> yep. yep. Love that. I think that's great. Thanks for tuning in for season three of the podcast. If you want more information on the guest, check out the show notes. If you want to contact me with a question, a comment, or a suggestion for the show, reach out Emily at Motramarch.com. You can find me on Instagram, MotramarCh, or on LinkedIn, Emily Motram. And you can find me on Thursday nights at the BS and Beer Show. So come join us live one week. Until then, stay nerdy.